Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Images aren't the only data satellites are capturing from space. Some spacecraft are collecting information invisible to the naked eye but valuable to governments and other entities monitoring the planet. It's a new niche in the intelligence market being carved out by the likes of Hawkeye 360, a startup specializing in radio frequency, or RF, data. It's not uh, particularly easy to forecast the size of a, of a brand new industry. We are the first people to do commercial RF sensing and geolocation. Uh, we've built up this new industry, and there are followers behind us, but we were the first ones. So developing a TAM or something that didn't exist beforehand is not particularly easy. When we look at the market sizes of signals intelligence and electronic intelligence and tactical intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance, otherwise referred to as tactical ISR, our analysis of those traditional market sizes is around $45 billion or so. Since I last spoke with CEO John Serafini on this podcast last year, Hawkeye 360 has closed on a $58 million capital raise led by BlackRock, extended its contract with the U.S. National Reconnaissance Office, and seen the competitive landscape narrow as some rivals have run out of cash. On this episode using space to sense what's happening on Earth. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. You've been staying busy at Hawkeye. I think probably first, let's start with the recent news, which is that you completed another capital raise, uh, $58 million led by BlackRock at a D1 funding round. What's that money going to go to? Well, the use of proceeds is generally three things. Uh, thing one is to complete the build out of our constellation to 20 clusters, which is 60 satellites. Um, the, the money provides for us to fund the movement from block two to block three, which is a much larger bus upwards of nearly 100 kilograms. Uh, we'll increase the amount of capacity and the collection capabilities that we can then provide within that 20 uh, cluster constellation. So that's one. Thing two is investing further into data science. We do a lot of work today downstream in converting and processing our RF data into usable knowledge products, but this allows us to accelerate further into artificial intelligence and uh, supervised and unsupervised machine learning. And then lastly is further investment in the orchestration of, of multi, multi-int, where we're coordinating the collection of multiple different phenomenologies of remote sensing data in space. So electro-optical, synthetic aperture radar, RF data, even hyperspectral, all working in concert with one another to, to identify specific objects, receive EO, RF, SAR data, fuse it all together, and then apply data science to understand better what that object, what that asset may be doing. So there's a lot there I want to I want to um, pick up on, but I'm going to start with the last piece. And that is these different types of capabilities. Just um, walk me through how much of that is coming from your own constellation versus your ability to work with other constellations and bring all of that material together. 
we're 100% focused on the RF domain. You know, we are focused on collecting an enormous amount of RF data from our constellation, processing the RF data, performing the data analytics, uh, and then fusing it with other people's uh, data, whether that's from electro-optical constellation or a synthetic aperture radar constellation. Our partners do that piece, but we really want to dominate is the RF domain. Today, we collect uh, from low Earth orbit space, but ultimately we will look to develop additional platforms for RF collection, whether that's uh, UAVs or terrestrial platforms in particular, or potentially other uh, space-based platforms. That's all of interest to us, such that we can dominate the collection and be the very best in the world at processing that data and converting it into an, an actionable insight on the RF side. Interesting. So it's not about the domain per se, it's about the data. It's about the data. It's about having access to the largest uh, database of RF data, converting that into a catalog of all the world's emitters, and then ultimately taking that database and, and converting it into the database of all the world's assets that are emitting RF objects, whether that's a, a vessel or an aircraft or a military Andy or a, a satellite phone, it's being able to do that work ourselves in-house and not be dependent upon any partners that allows us to control the entire value chain. Got it. So it's it's data as a service. It's RF data as a service in this particular case. Um, before I get into the data science part of it and the role of AI and machine learning, for example, um, I do just want to back up a little bit and just have you uh, explain, and I know we've had this conversation before, but just explain the value of RF data specifically and why it's a game changer, why it's meaningful, and why why it is valuable. Yeah. As we've discussed in the past, uh, when you see RF data or you see RF emitters from space, you know, ultimately you know that you're looking at human activity. As we discussed you know, previously, it, you don't see a bear keying a mic or, or a lake emitting RF that comes exclusively from human behavior and human intention. So if you see that from space and you look at it long enough, you can start to extract patterns of life and better understand human behavior. That's not as intuitive or easy to do when you're combining it or looking at uh, electro-optical or synthetic aperture radar imagery. So it's less intuitive because you can't look at a photo the same way that you can with electro-optical, but we think that this, this signals data is a much more richer data set that can allow a, a trained analyst to extract a lot more intelligence about what the human behavior is that they're witnessing. So what does that mean in terms of, especially when you start to combine it with some of these other forms of data and, um, and capabilities, what does that mean in terms of how much to use the word you just used, how much richer the picture is of the view of Earth or specific parts of Earth than it was even just a few years ago. So let's take an example of, of the maritime domain. Um, today, it's using electro-optical and other imaging assets. You're getting uh, spot moments in time of a picture of a vessel or vessels. With RF, we start to identify specific vessels and then assign them an identifier. And then when our satellites next come, come over that area, whether that's 20 minutes later or an hour later, we're able to then pick back up again that same vessel and maintain a chain of custody of that vessel. And if you do this for long enough, you start to extract 
interesting and usable information about that vessel, where it's been, its patterns of life, and start to make forecasts about where that vessel may be and, and what kind of activities that vessel may be involved in. Now take that concept and apply it to the battlefield or to the aerial domain or the border domain. You start to get a better understanding of how RF, particularly when combined with electro-optical and, and other imaging capabilities, can provide a very rich source of intelligence for users. Got it. And I know you have a number of contracts and that number is growing uh, with the U.S. government, uh, whether it's intelligence agencies or, or through the DOD. Um, how big how big is this market and what are those apl applications more broadly? Battlefield and intelligence makes sense. I get it. But but how does it expand beyond that as well? It's not uh, particularly easy to forecast the size of a, of a brand new industry. Um, the we are the first people to do commercial RF sensing and geolocation. Uh, we've built up this new industry and there are followers behind us, but we were the first ones. So developing a TAM for something that didn't exist beforehand is not particularly easy. When we look at the market sizes of signals intelligence and electronic intelligence and tactical intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance, otherwise referred to as tactical ISR, our analysis of those traditional market sizes is around $45 billion or so. So when we talk about the total TAM that we can quote unquote disrupt as a defense tech company bring a new capability to market for governments around the world, we typically identify 45 or so billion dollars worth of total addressable market opportunity. Got it. Um, so what does that mean? in terms of, I guess, future government contracting and the opportunities there. And by the way, not just with the U.S., but also with allies, since I know you're starting to ink some of those deals, too. Yeah, the vast majority of our, of our revenue, as you know, Morgan, is, is government-oriented, defense, intelligence, security, value propositions. Uh, we don't do a whole lot of commercial today. Our technology has great relevance and value for commercial applications, but I'm a big believer in focus. And uh, as we've discussed in the past, I also believe that you can't minor in government sales. That has to be your primary focus in life if you're going to be successful. So that's where we're, we're focusing today. Uh, what it means in terms of the market opportunity and the size for Hawkeyes, we're going to continue to grow quickly um, and richly within both the U.S. government and, with, and within um, uh, international governments. That's our focus. Uh, we think that there's a lot of market opportunity that has never before been disrupted. That's the domain of defense industrial based prime contractors that have been doing things under more traditional contract vehicles and, and cost plus contracts, which I think are pretty inefficient and, and lead the taxpayer uh, into a much more inefficient outcome than, than buying commercial services is what Hawkeyes is trying to provide. Um, so we think there's a, a significant market opportunity for us to disrupt and we're often doing it. Yeah, spoken like a like a defense tech CEO right there. Um, <laughs> I, I it's true. I have this type of conversation uh, quite a bit with with people that are you know running new new defense tech companies uh, or newer companies. So how do you do that? How do you disrupt a marketplace that has operated a certain way for so long um, when there is so much? red tape, uh, when there is, you could call it a very uh, large financial moat uh, to be able to shake up the prime structure, if you will. Yeah. Two things. It's, first of all, it's separate from the two things, the first to mention is it's not easy, right? Like what we're doing is 
is demanding and difficult and we're breaking new ground every day, but it needs to be, it needs to be broken. Um, I guess the two things are, you know, first of all, as I mentioned earlier, you, you need to be built from the ground up with the DNA to sell to governments. You need to have the contract vehicles, the clearances, the relationships with the primes. You need to be able to advocate for yourself on Capitol Hill and, and with other branches of the government. Uh, you need to have the relationships within the, the government uh, to be able to walk the halls and engage with these customers. And that's not something that the typical uh, Silicon Valley type company wakes up knowing how to do. So it's a it's a different skill set, and you can't you can't do it on the side. You have to really be all in to to be successful. That's one. The second is you have to obviously raise a significant amount of capital. And when you're talking about, uh, particularly in the as it relates to space, it's a it's a capex intensive business. You need to raise a lot of money. Uh, today we've raised over three hundred and sixty million dollars um, across seven different institutional financing rounds. I would tell you, given the larger private equity, growth equity uh, market as it relates to tech investing, uh, the fact that we are a defense tech company helped us out immeasurably. I, I would not want to be out raising capital right now in a pure tech function. But the fact that we're a defense tech company with peer companies like Palantir and, and Andrew and Shield AI uh, and Vandeveer, et cetera, some of which have pulled off material financings in the past six to nine months. Uh, it provides us with a very solid peer group, but also there's a, a bevy of, of interested growth equity and private equity investors who want exposure to defense tech, who, who appreciate the all-weather economics, who appreciate the, uh, the diversification benefit of a, of a low beta. You know, we have very little correlation to the global economic condition or more correlated to uh, geopolitical volatility. And there's a good number of investors who appreciate that and step forward during this round to consider the company. Yeah, which and you've kind of just answered it already. But I was going to say, why do you think defense tech is is having its um, having its moment? And it sounds like maybe because it's it's defensive within tech for part of the pun, um, and it is more correlated to geopolitics rather than economic cycles. Well, you hit on it, right. And first of all, there's a lot of challenges. Uh, on a global geopolitical basis. You, you have obviously the war in, in Ukraine, you have challenges in the South China Sea, the potential for conflict with Taiwan. There's a number of different regional conflicts around the world. For example, no one talks about Ethiopia, but that's an existing hotspot that, that someone needs to be focused on. But all of that means that, uh, that there's plenty of work to be done for a company like Hawkeye 360 that focuses on, on tracking that kind of activity of, of of interest to our customers. That's one. Uh, the second is is the all weather economics, right? You know, uh, the U.S. government, Department of Defense, is going to do 850 billion dollars or so in Department of Defense budget slash the intelligence community over the next two three years, increasing every every year at three to four percent or so. That doesn't change if there's recessionary conditions in the United States, um, and uh, there's an appreciation for that from. Uh, from investors. And then lastly, when you're doing work with the U.S. government, uh, there's a lot of upside to doing so. Um, and their national governments. I mean, they're, they're particularly sticky customers. Once you've been able to land and expand into a program of record uh, and you can provide and prove and demonstrate meaningful value for the warfighter or the analyst or the decision maker, the opportunity to continue to expand that is, is definitively there. And they pay their bills on time. The, the margins are generally pretty decent. There, there's going to be margins there. You're not going to 
not going to lose money uh, on the, the contract. And you can expand that as you continue to perform and provide value. So for all those reasons, I think uh, servicing government customers right now is a good place to be. Okay. Of course, um, continuing resolutions, I think, can sometimes be the, the little area of volatility or difficulty in all of this. But to your point, it doesn't change it doesn't change the dynamics, even when you see a continuing resolution in terms of the bills and the contracts that have been laid out in the existing year. Um, data science. I said I was going to come back to it. Um, let's talk a little bit about what that means, what that looks like for Hawkeye, especially at a time where every company across every industry is trying to understand generative AI and, and the opportunities that, 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 that that's going to unleash uh, right now. Well, uh, I guess I would summarize by saying TBD, right? We, we understand that it's a, a positive force. It's a transformational force. But figuring out how artificial intelligence plays into remote sensing, uh, there's a lot of work that has to be done. I mean, I, ChatGPT is great. It can write a book report from my sixth grader really quickly, and, and that's fantastic. But that doesn't mean it can take uh, thousands of uh, emitter dots over a, a certain geographic location and be able to, to correlate that to human activity and understand what's occurring on the ground. Those types of algorithms are really yet to be developed. And that's the kind of work that we're going to be creating to, to take decades, if not generations of human knowledge about signals and connect that into algorithms that can then eventually provide a digital knowledge product of what's occurring without having a quote unquote man the loop. That's the ultimate area we're trying to accomplish, but it's not gonna happen overnight. This financing though does provide a significant amount of of capital to allow us to get a head start on and to start to bring some of those downstream products to market. So what does the future look like for Hawkeye 360? I mean, you mentioned uh, UAVs or even maybe looking at like ground-based possibilities. I mean, looking out five years from now, 10 years from now, what does the company look like? Um, how does it speak to the market um, that I know is still kind of emerging and, and developing, even though you've put earlier in this conversation, um, a rough number around, or a rough estimate around it. I guess, what, where does it go from here? Uh, what we're really passionate about is the combination of our own proprietary RF data. It's never before existed outside of the, the classified ecosystem and combining that with our downstream processing and data science work to create these knowledge products. So you have a combination of, of data that's our own that we can sell to our customers, raw IQ or, or somewhat processed data. But then we also have a whole slate of different data analytic products that we can sell on a services basis to many different customers. That combination together is very unique. Typically what you see in the space ecosystem is companies that either have their own data, but not their own downstream processing and analytic capabilities, or they're focused on the downstream, but they're exposed because they don't own their own data. Having the full value chain as Hawkeye has today, the ability to design your own spacecraft, to manufacture them in-house efficiently, to operate our own constellation, to process that data, to do the geolocations of a wide range of different signals, correlate that into knowledge products with our own geospatial platform that we can deliver to customers and then manage that customer base directly without necessarily having to depend upon uh, channel partners, that's highly unique. And to do so purely to support 
the world's most demanding defense and intelligence security customers. You know, that's that's what this company is set up to be as an enduring company supporting enduring customers with enduring customer requirements. Um, and to do so, we had to raise more capital, which is why we we just completed that Series D one round. Okay, I got two more questions for you. The first is we've seen some a little bit of shakeout um, in the market more broadly. Uh, I think about Clio Space, for example, uh, basically running out of cash, filing for bankruptcy. Do you expect that we're going to see more consolidation or more just correction in this uh, broader I- intelligence market, space-based intelligence market uh, from here? I think it's difficult to raise capital. Um unless you have a lot of good things going for you. It's definitely even more challenging in the public markets. So for some of the SPAC companies that went public in the past two or three years uh, and need to, to raise additional equity, it may be challenging at, the, at their current stock prices. Will that lead to, to logical to consolidation? I think likely there'll be a few companies that uh, will be consolidated and there'll be a few less companies in the electro-optical space potentially. We'll see how that plays out. The uh, electro-optical commercial layer, uh, which was an NRO solicitation and program that was awarded a, about a year ago, that was meaningful. That was a meaningful amount of, of revenue that went out, and I think it, it positions a number of those companies really well for success long term. Uh, but it, it all comes down to companies' ability to raise capital, and I think that that in turn is correlated to uniqueness and um, the ability to do something unique with the data that you collect. And there's not many of us that can do that. Okay, final question for you. I know you did just raise capital, Mm -hmm. um, but because it's come up over the years in my conversations with investors and analysts, could you you envision Hawkeye 360 being a public company at some point? Well, I mentioned to you earlier that we, we want to be an enduring company. Uh, I have no interest in a near-term sale of the company. We, we want to build this to be a, a phenomenal company for the long term that's needed to support our customers. Uh, eventually, I think it makes sense for us to consider a public listing, uh, particularly as we need access to additional resources down the road for future growth initiatives. But I would close by saying this round provides us with a fully financed business plan uh, to get to 20 clusters uh, with the space capabilities that we know our customers need and with the appropriate amount of cash runway to, to reach break even. Um, so we're in a very good place as it relates to, to, to our financial position. John Serafini of Hawkeye 360. Great to speak with you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by following us wherever you get your podcasts and by watching our coverage on Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan. <laughs>